The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God, Amen. When I was newly ordained, my first parish was in a small town in South Dakota. And I had, before that, I had, in my work life, I had always been with a bunch of people throughout the day. But when I got to this small church, I found that, of course, there was no staff. I was it. And there really wasn't much going on at the church through the week. So I found myself becoming increasingly lonely as I made my office there in beside the church in an old house. And it just seemed to be a very, very lonely kind of ministry. Well, I shared that concern with some colleagues who were within the diocese. And over a period of time, we decided four of us would meet once a month. We'd have lunch together and we would support one another in our various ministries. So we started to meet, and over time, as we continued to gather together, it became clear to at least three of us that this wasn't working. (laughs) We would come with kind of a mix of some good things were happening. Some things weren't going so well. But there was one person there where every time, it is so good, it is just great. Pledges are up. Attendance is up. We have programs just at busting at the seams at the church. And we felt like we were doing nothing. <laughs> so these colleague group, this colleague group uh, eventually became kind of a negative for three of us. And we finally disbanded. Well, I thought about that today as I, uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, reading about the disciples arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. It's uh, easy to understand how the disciples might get into that kind of a discussion when I know it happens among us who are in the clergy. I guess it's perhaps just part of human nature, but it becomes even more offensive when we find those of us who are supposed to be servants of all are trying to figure out who's the greatest. Well, Jesus' response to this is very interesting. They Finally, they get to the house and Jesus says to them, what were you arguing about? And the room falls silent. 
and they know that the perspective that Jesus has is different from theirs. And they know that because of the way that he lived his life. And then Jesus embraces a child too small to care about any of the disciples, whether they were great or not, or who they were. And he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And not just me, the one who sent me. In a sense, Jesus is saying to them, you play one-upsmanship with each other, and I, your master, come among you as a servant of all, only hoping to be embraced, to be accepted. And you are trying to figure out who is the greatest among you. One can imagine the deafening silence in the room at that point. But this enacted parable was a way for Jesus to challenge the disciples to have a different perspective on the way that they saw their ministry and the world around them. And he says, if any of you would be first, you must be last of all and servant of all. I think we have trouble with the word servant. And, you know, in uh, more recent translations where slave is there, it's sometimes changed, so it's not quite so offensive. Perhaps we need to be a bit offended by it and think about what that relationship is. I, I believe that our mind goes one of two places when we hear servant or slave. We, of course, think about the oppression and all of the terrible things that have been imposed on certain people, women, people of color, ethnic groups even to this day, who are living in great oppression. And then the other thing that our mind, I think, goes to is, this is unreasonable. This is too high a goal. This doesn't fit everyday life. It just isn't relevant. But I think we get a different perspective when we take another understanding of the word that is translated servant. It can also mean to be bound to a master. So when God, when Jesus invites us to be servants, he's inviting us to be bound to the master, to be bound to God. And once a person's life is bound to God in Christ, our perspective changes entirely. When our reference point is God and Christ, when we think about the life of Jesus and try to use that as our reference point, Everything is different. No longer is it just about acquiring or attaining or achieving or even about just being happy. But it's about finding real joy, joy in knowing that we are living out God's call to us to be servants, to be servants of one another. I believe the real test of our faith occurs not so much in those times of personal crisis, but rather every day in our lives. Every day, our faith is tested by the choices we make, by what we will do with what we have been entrusted with, our time, our talents, and our treasure. I thought about this the other day, is that we've had so many uh, funerals lately, and, and often there'll be a remembrances offered at these funerals. And I remember one in particular where the person who is eulogizing the one who is deceased talked about the most mundane sort of relationships that were so important in her life, how that person had made a difference in her life 
in ways that had nothing to do with accomplishments in terms of that person's career, acquiring wealth or acquiring even great respect. It was what that person did day in and day out, faithfully, that changed that person's life. Well, if I had told you at the beginning of this sermon that this is going to be a stewardship sermon, you probably would have run the other way. I was afraid Becky was going to spill the beans with the choir and we wouldn't have any choir here. (laughs) This next month, you will be receiving an envelope asking for your support for the ministries of this parish through our annual pledge drive. And. I think it's important for you to know that I think it's a privilege for me to ask you to participate in that. And the reason I say that is because every time we think about how we are using our time, our talents and our treasure, we think about our relationship with things and with God and with one another. So it's it truly is a privilege and I invite you into it as an opportunity for you to experience joy. The joy of knowing that you have seriously thought about your life, what God has given you, and what you in turn want to give back. A parenthetical expression here. You know, we talk sometimes about tithing, 10%. And I think it's important to remember when you hear about that, that in in ancient times, that tithe went to support the community. So I know, I believe, many of you are tithing. I think by the the gifts you are giving to charity, if you add all that up along with what you give to the church, you are probably really at that 10%. So I just want you to keep that in mind as you think about how uh, how you engage the community as well as this community of faith. The theme for this year's campaign is personal reflections, examining what stewardship means to each of us. And our hope is that you will prayerfully consider what stewardship means to you. You might want to think about how the ministries of this church have touched your life. You might want to think about how Trinity has aided in your your faith journey. Or you might consider how Trinity has equipped you in order for you to reach out in ministry to others. This year, we have four goals, and that may seem like a lot, but I think as you hear them, you'll understand that uh, each of us may relate to these goals uh, very differently. The first goal is for us to seek to strengthen our commitment to help and serve others. And I think today's gospel speaks very clearly about that, reminding us that we are to be servants of all. Our second goal is to grow beyond 300 pledges. We are just below 300 pledges, it seems, year after year after year. I think last year it was about 287, something like that. And I think partly what contributes to us not being able to kind of get over that hump is a lack of understanding of what membership means in the Episcopal Church. And we've not been very good about explaining it to people, I don't think. The national canons of the church say that to be an Episcopalian, you need to be baptized and attend Episcopal Church, an Episcopal Church. That's it. Baptize and attend. But to be a member of Trinity Episcopal Church, 
we look to our bylaws, and the bylaws are very clear about membership. One must be at least 16 years of age. Uh, the person must uh, support one another as we come together on a weekly basis, on a regular basis for uh, corporate worship. And then it says this, quoting, support the parish by regular attendance of public worship and by financial aid. I have been told that in the South, they have another way of expressing this thing about financial aid. They say it's being known to the treasurer. <laughs> now, we have a wonderful treasurer who would love to know every one of you. <laughs> and uh, my hope especially is that uh, some of you are new to Trinity, have decided that this is your, your church home. And I hope that you'll affirm that with a pledge to Trinity. I think that you'll find that it, it's a very clear connection saying, I am here. This is my parish. Our third goal is to increase the number of sustaining pledges. This you might find helpful as you think about uh, what you are giving and what you're able to give. We define a sustaining pledge as the amount needed from each pledging unit every week in order to just turn the lights on and open the doors. And that amounts to $50 a week per pledging unit. And that would be a sustaining pledge. Not everybody's able to do that, but perhaps you are. And maybe you could think about that if you've not been giving at that level in the past. The fourth goal is for those of us who do pledge to consider increasing our pledge by 5% in the year ahead. We are asking for this because we know that we have lost some pledge income because of deaths, other forms of attrition, and also because of hardship in some cases. And we also anticipate the loss of some revenues during the period of construction of the new parish house. And as you can imagine, if, uh, if we don't have that building, there are a lot of things that won't go on here. and We'll lose certainly some of the rental income that we've had in the past. So we hope that those of you who have pledged, you'll continue to pledge and consider a 5% increase. The last thing that I want to say is that each of us live with a very different financial reality. Our lives are very different when it comes to our bank accounts and, and how we can live day to day, week to week. The amount that you pledge will never be questioned. It is between you and God as you pray and seriously consider what you might give. And part of being good stewards is giving what is appropriate given your circumstances. Well, finally, I should say that my hope above all is that when you fill out that pledge card, that you will do it with joy. It is not a burden. It's a great privilege. The joy that we find in having one more way of expressing our faith and of giving thanks for all that God has entrusted to us. I pray that all of us will be blessed this pledge season. Amen. Amen.